Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 17? We're going to begin at verse 22. The story behind this is the Apostle Paul had the opportunity to address a philosophical forum at the height of Athens' philosophical powers. And in those days, philosophy and religion were very much tied together. And they had this visiting Jewish preacher proclaiming a very strange message. And so they said, well, we like to hear some new things. There's no television. There's no internet. So let's bring Paul to address the gathering. And we have Paul's speech. It's a masterful discourse. Anybody who wants to be involved in communication, public speaking, preaching, teaching, should study the speeches of Paul in Acts to see how he adapts the same message but adapts his presentation to the context. He finds a point of contact and then uses it unashamedly to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. But as he describes in many ways, which is a manifesto of his own ministry, as the apostle to the nations, to the Gentiles, he touches on some high points of biblical revelation, which would have been known to any first century Jewish audience, and possibly in some way familiar even to those who had hosted Jewish settlements in their own cities. But unfortunately, in our understanding, this vision of the nations, brought about by God, the nations, or God's creation, in the context of displeasure and judgment, but not without mercy, handing the nations over to the spiritual beings, the sons of God, part of God's heavenly council, which were mandated by God to govern the nations, and all the nations have their own principalities and powers, to govern the nations, particularly to take care of them so that people's needs were met, but failed to do so because they rebelled against God and said, we are going to do things our own way, we're going to do it Mahweh, not Yahweh. Okay. And so we have the birth of the nations, the cultures, the language, the geographical locations, historical seasons of national prominence, and also the religions of the nations were birthed by what I'm about to describe. Birthed in rebellion. I'm not saying that all religions are completely false and have no truth in them. But all the religions of the world were birthed out of a rejection of the revelation of God and God revealed himself only in a special way to a new nation which he raised up through Abraham at that point of history. So we have Israel and the nations. And during that time when God handed the nations over to the principalities and powers, 
The Bible says he overlooked their idolatry. It didn't mean that God condoned it. But he knew that the nations would be judged by general revelation, what they could know of God in creation, conscience, and in his goodness shown perpetually to all people. But when Jesus Christ came, a new era dawned. It was not just Israel coming under the revelation of God, but Jesus Christ was manifested for all nations, died for all nations, and particularly in the cross and resurrection, opened the door to the times of the Gentiles. And we live in the time of the nations. If we fast forward, we see that Israel has not been abandoned without the possibility of being grafted back into their own olive tree. And there will be a fullness of Israel. The hardening in Israel is for a season, but they will see Christ, they will know him, and there will be almost a national repentance of the nation of Israel. That's yet to come. But the same word is used, fullness of Israel, the same word is used of the fullness of the Gentiles. God's plan is to have a very, 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 very big family. And there will be in the end times moves of the Holy Spirit that will sweep through whole nations and shake even whole continents and the victory of Christ will be seen and manifested in all the earth as the Bible says, he must reign, Jesus must reign until his enemies become the footstool of his feet and Christ will return to a victorious, powerful, anointed, effective end time church. And we are preparing for that. Well, there is a Genesis through Revelation introduction to a scripture reading, but here we go. Acts chapter 17, verse 22, Paul is speaking to the assembly in Athens. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Arabicus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's not actually far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. 
And even, as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he's given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Make a note of it, we won't turn to it, but in Genesis chapter 10, the very early pages of Genesis, we've had the story of the flood and God's project is now taken up by Noah and his family. The original project handed to Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, take the blessing of Eden and spread it across the world. And of course we know that Adam and Eve sinned and, and they were in some way disqualified from fulfilling that, but God raised up Noah and another generation and said to Noah, now you go and do it, fill the earth and multiply. And uh, so that was happening. For a while it looked pretty good. Uh, the multiplication led to nations and we read in uh, Genesis chapter 10, the habitation and so on. We also notice they had different languages and we don't know where that came from, but Genesis 11 begins to tell us. But then something happened. It seems that there is such corruption in the human spirit, human life, and we know that that corruption is not just because we are sinful beings by nature, that we have the same nature as Adam and Eve, that we want to go our own way. They were created good, but not perfect. They would have been perfected if they made the right choices, but they didn't, and now we are sons and daughters of Adam. But there is a level of wickedness and evil, a level of corruption, which is not fully explained even by the fall of humanity. And as we delve into the scriptures, we find that there is a spiritual level of corruption because as there was a fall on the earth, so there was a fall in heaven. These divine beings, which are called sons of God, they are, I suppose, in our New Testament language, we could accurately call them as, uh, as angels, but they are spiritual beings created by God, his heavenly family. God is Lord of heaven and earth. And a number of these spiritual beings rebelled against God and we see the rebellion in heaven matched with an equal rebellion on the earth. Genesis chapter 11 describes this. Instead of going across the earth and continuing to fill it, fill it they gathered in a place. And there they said, this is good. We all speak the same language. Here we are. And they purposed something. Uh, what they purposed was, was to build a city and declare that city the city of God or the gods. And they built a temple, a ziggurat, it's called a tower, the Tower of Babel. If you want to know what it looked like, just, just go to um, a certain city in uh, the head of the European Union and find a Tower of Babel there. But that's not my topic today. But as I said it, I might have to come back to it. There's been a Babel project in every generation. And what this is, is to unite the nations of the world in some way 
in their rebellion against God and to set up their own version of God's plan. Not worshipping the one and the true and the living God, but worshipping the gods of the nations in whatever form they take. And so they built a tower and they said, this is going to reach up into, into the heavens. And God said, I can't let this carry on. Uh, and it is a judgment, but it's also a merciful judgment. Because he said, nothing is going to be impossible for them. Genesis 11:6 comes on the screen. The Lord said, behold, they are one people. They have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible to them. They wanted to make a name for themselves. That's what it was all about. And they didn't want to be dispersed. They didn't want to leave the comforts of their own lives and go and populate the earth with, uh, with believers and worshippers of God. Rather like the Church of Jesus Christ today. You know, we've got to smash that Babel project in our own, in our own lives. And that's we gather together in our little ways and we, we refuse to go out to evangelize uh, and, uh, and so on. We certainly, uh, uh, we, we certainly ignore the nations. Just a fraction of the percentage of world missions budget is spent on those who've never, ever heard. I thank God that I'm going to those people and at least I have to narrow my ministry down. I can't do everything, but I am teaching and discipling People have come to Christ miraculously from the most horrendous situations. Some of them part of well-known organizations of violence committed to building a different form of the kingdom of God on the earth. But God has met them and, and I sit with them and talk to them. Wow, if I thought you people were a demanding audience, these are ten times more demanding. They won't let me sit down. I stand up and I speak and they say, tell us more. And the questions and the questions. And I feel drained out, so drained that I have to stay up all night praying to be filled again just in time for the morning meeting. And they're already there. They've been up all night seeking God. It, God is doing something absolutely amazing. And so this uh, uh, conspiracy was to remain together, huddle together and build something for themselves. And God said, no, in my mercy, I won't let that happen because my project will not be ruined by the entrance of false gods, humanism, all the ideas that you have. This has to be done my way because it's my project and I am the one, the true and the only living God. And so it was the divine human cooperation. By divine, I mean the false deities the spiritual beings that set themselves up as gods to be worshipped, a divine human cooperation, a conspiracy to overthrow the creator and overthrow his plan with a plan of their own. And this goes back very much to a passage I've spoke on before. And let me tell you what my goal is. My goal is to give you the background of Acts chapter 17. And Paul is actually giving a commentary on this very passage. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 7 through 9. Here is Moses, one of Moses' last speeches. Deuteronomy is a, a version 2 of the presentation of the law of God. Deuteronomy means second law. God didn't give a second law, but it's a, a second presentation of and a recap of what God had done 
in the life of Moses. And so Moses says, remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance. When he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. ESV, uh, English Standard Version. New King James, have it right. NIV has it wrong. They follow the text, the sons of Israel. We know that's not correct because when God divided the nations, there, were no, there was no Israel. That happened later. Okay, so it's the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? These are the, the heavenly spiritual beings that were part of God's heavenly council that were uh, assisting God in his government in the heavens and over the earth, the heavenly government of the earth. And he said he divided them. Why? Because of judgment. He says, all right, these nations, Genesis 10, the table of the nations, these nations have rejected me and I will now hand them over to their desires. And they can go ahead and worship other gods. It's not that God didn't mind. It's not that it didn't matter. But that was a kind of divorce where God divorced the nations and said, right, the nations of the earth have rebelled against me. I will raise up a new nation. And the very next chapter talks about the call of Abraham and we know the call of Abraham led to Isaac and Jacob's call led to the 12 tribes of Israel led to the nation of Israel and God said Israel is my inheritance the gods of the nations that's their inheritance I'm going to make a new and fresh inheritance and I will be their God and they will be my people. I will make myself known to them. The rest of the nations, they had general revelation. Israel had special revelation. General revelation, what's that? Paul talks about it in Romans 1. He says the invisible qualities of God, who God is, is evident. It's been revealed by the things that he has made. God has revealed himself in creation. Every created being on the planet knows that. God has revealed himself for us in our conscience. Some people call this natural law. We have a sense of right and wrong. You don't need to be a follower of Jesus to know that lying and stealing and killing and thieving is wrong. This is the conscience that God has given us and that is a light which we can live by. It's not adequate for salvation, but it, it means that we... Uh, we are, uh, we are, that God gave us a witness and we are responsible for our actions. Also, as is spoken of here, God's general revelation comes through his providential care. Have you ever wondered why that unbelieving, pagan, atheistic, blaspheming neighbor of yours, <laughs> if anybody has such a person, my prayers are with you, and there they are. When the, when the summer comes, the summer is in your garden. The flowers are there. The fruit is there. And in your neighbor's garden. And you say, God, why didn't you just put a bit of darkness? Why didn't you just hit some 
thunder and lightning there to destroy their fruit. Well, God's not like that. He causes his sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. There are so many blessings that people who never know Christ receive in their lives. Have you noticed that? And sometimes there are many trials that come to those who follow Jesus that you think sometimes the men and women of the world don't have. This is a strange world in which we live. But God is a good God. The trials that come to us are God underlining his goodness that we might grow in grace and in knowledge of God and trust him and demonstrate his glory. And the blessings that God gives to the lost and those who hate him are that they might find him. And this is what Paul says. God did this. He put the gods of the nations over the nations and he chose Israel. But there was, he did this because he, he had a plan. And he said, first of all, I, I have showed myself to you, creation, conscience, and in God's providential care. Why? So that they might ask questions and say, wow, where's this goodness coming into my life? And, and, and they look at the stars and they look at the creation and say, this couldn't have happened by itself after all. Nothing that comes into being comes from nothing. Nothing that comes into being comes from nothing. I'm smiling at Jonathan, who's nodding here. Jonathan, our, our, our finance director, is also uh, studying to become one of our chief apologists. He knows exactly what I'm doing by giving this apologetic teaching. The question is, if nothing comes from nothing, then God could not exist because God is something. And he, did he come from nothing? No, he always was. Nothing that comes into being comes from nothing. Nothing. But God, who did not come into being, needed not a beginning. So that's who made God question, maybe a popular Sunday school one, but it's ridiculous to hear mature, educated philosophers and scientists asking the question that Genesis chapter 1 answers. So I say to you people lovingly, not you people, but those people, not even listening to me now, but just in case they are, open your Bible and find the answer. God bless you. Amen. All right. So... Nothing that comes into being comes from nothing. So there must have been something when there was nothing else but that something, and his name is God. He is eternal, he's all-powerful, and all that kind of stuff. So all of this is there. We can demonstrate it from a blank sheet of paper without even opening the Bible. God exists. But it's even more than that. Um, what I'm excited about now, only a few of you will be, because not many of us are called to be philosophers. But we're all called to be livers. I don't mean livers as opposed to kidneys, I mean people who live. <laughs> and every single person who has lived, even for any length of time, has a need. And what, who do they turn to? They have a joy, who do they turn to? Who, when, they are, when they are joyful, who do they thank? God completes our joys and he strengthens us in our weakness. People turn to God and pray in times of difficulty. So this is not philosophical, you know, an analysis. This is life 
existential reality. It's a reality of our existence. We know that we are depending on something, someone outside of ourselves for life to be complete, for life to make sense. And so Paul says, uh, God did this so that we could feel after him and look for him. He says, by the way, you don't have to look very far because he is closer than you think. In him we live and move and have our being. That's a truth. Try it on your friends who don't yet know Jesus. Don't preach that to them because they will just deny it. Who are you to tell me? Well, I live in and have my being. No. But just observe them. You will find that there is something, a question in their hearts rising up. And, and, and they don't believe it is the God of the Bible, many of them, but they wish it was. And they're looking at your life, hoping, 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 hoping that it is true. The most aggressive of them are closest to Christ. Because it's like the man who is buying a second-hand car. This salesman has convinced him, and he has to show one sign of independence. He walks around the car, kicks the tires, and then buys the car. Salesmen say when somebody starts kicking the tires, get the pen ready, they're about to sign the check. That's what it was for Paul. He was kicking the tires and kicking against the goads, but <laughs> he was already enraptured, trapped, gloriously trapped in his desire to know God. And so here we have the origin of the nations. Idolatry. Uh, Every religion or religious and philosophical system is idolatrous because it always substitutes something in the place of God. It might be idols of wood and stone, which, by the way, are not mere objects. Did you know that? Did you know that? Um, there were ceremonies where you sacrifice the idols, you're sacrificed to demons. And demons are not nothing. The gods of the nations are not nothing. They are demonic entities. Did you know that? And often they operate through contact points of object points. For example, uh, statues, altars, sacrifices, pagan temples. It is a demonic realm. And, and it's very, very real. Very real. So when the Bible says idols are, as, are nothing, it meant that in and of themselves they're just wood and stone. But there were ceremonies to open the eyes of the idols and the, the demonic powers would actually come and manifest themselves through these physical object points. So be careful when you travel around the world what trinkets you bring back with you. All right, just a, a little warning sign for that. But the, but the point is, is that our God who created all things uh, and a prayer of faith and blessing over every food that might have been sacrificed to idols is not just declared clean, pure, but also demon-free. Amen and amen and amen. Okay. There's a bit of side teaching for you. There must have been there for somebody. I didn't say that at nine, so somebody here must be blessed by that. I don't know who, and I don't particularly know why. But anyway, God's in control. And so, Paul says... In the days of ignorance, God is so merciful. He gave them a knowledge through creation, conscience, and his providential care. 
But he didn't give them the special revelation that he gave to the Jews. And he said, I want you, Jewish nation, to be a light to all nations. They were supposed to go and spread it, but they kept it to themselves. And all kinds of things happened. They began to worship the gods of the nations. And so Messiah came. They didn't recognize him. But when Jesus came, he came to open heaven, not just to his own people, covenant people, the Jewish nation, but to all nations. And you, you think again, it's quite difficult. Luke's gospel tries to show how Jesus' ministry is relevant to the Gentile world. But most of the other gospels, especially Matthew, are describing a Jesus' ministry to the Jews. For example, he said, I've only come to minister to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And when some Gentiles broke through, Jesus stopped and he said, this is remarkable. You shouldn't even be doing this. It's not the time of the Gentiles yet, but of the centurion. He said, I've not found such great faith anywhere in Israel. And when the uh, Syrian Syrophoenician woman, when I said, when I was speaking in um, Lebanon on this, they said, no, Syrian. She was Syrian. So she was Syrian. And the Syrians were there. They were delighted. Wow, can you imagine? A Syrian woman breaks through. And all the Syrians, I mean, that was enough to, to preach to thousands. And, and the Syrians are coming to Christ. This Syrophoenician Syrian lady came. Uh, her, her, her daughter was, was sick and, and needed healing, needed deliverance. And, and uh, she was saying, oh, have mercy, have mercy. And the disciples who were the ushers of the New Testament said, oh, get rid of that woman. She's bothering us. Send her away. And Jesus spoke to the disciples in the ears of the woman and said, It is not right to give the bread for the children and hand it to dogs. Jesus said that. How would you like it if your pastor said, I'm not going to preach to dogs like you. What would you do? No, don't tell me. I don't want to know. <laughs> and I never want to find out, so I won't ever do it. But understand this is technical language. Uh, in most uh, nations in the world, a dog is, it, calling somebody a dog is a big insult. Except really here in England where we put the dogs on our laps. <laughs> One of the first missionary teams ministering in, uh, it's called a lap dog, okay. Uh, I know, I, know, I know the people who have got dogs here, I can see. Anyway, in, in Kenya, and um, there was a dog. Dogs are very, very welcome, but they're outside. Dogs outside, dogs outside. Chickens inside, no problem. Dogs outside. <laughs> I know chickens are welcome inside because a chicken nested on my bed for the whole of that missions trip. We got quite friendly. Unfortunately, the chicken was chingered, killed, and we had the chicken. I felt so sad. This is the chicken. This is the chicken. In fact, I hope that today's recipe is not chicken because I, 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 after this, my heart is bringing. I can't eat fish. I'm a diver. I can't eat chickens because the ch Anyway, never mind. All right. So get back to the point. Gentile dogs, it was a word that meant unclean, therefore outside the covenant. So can I put it in theological language for you? It will sound better. Oh no, what you have to understand is, is that my ministry is, first of all, to the covenant people, not people outside the covenant. That's what he meant. But it's still very strong. They, it wasn't a compliment to these people. But this lady wasn't put off. 
She said, oh, ha, ha, ha. Oh, yes, master, you're absolutely right. But who will prevent the dogs from licking up the crumbs that fall from the table? Who, who would do that? And Jesus, he was so happy because as well as a statement of fact, it was not yet the time for the Gentiles, it was a provocative push for her faith. Do you realize sometimes when God, R.T. calls it playing hard to get. Uh, I don't like that expression because it reminds me of a relationship I had once. But anyway, I'm glad she was hard to get because I actually found the one that should have been gotten and that's her over here. Uh, and, and God does that. When God seems far away, he's never closer. When God seems deaf, he's never more attentive. When God seems powerless, he's never more powerful than he is. Because he wants to stretch our faith. Maybe there are people today who feel the Lord is denying them. Now, I'm not going to prophesy over you because I don't know how you will abuse my prophecy. If I was to say to you, take it, I could end up in a big, big trouble. Maybe it's a double Rolls Royce and, and, and that's which I, I would say, I say, yes, take it, but when you've got it, give it to me. But that's another, that's another matter. It reminds me of the time when, when, when we watch this, this film, you'll see that I've been influenced and I've been blessed by many, many different ministries. One of them is Benny Hinn. And Benny Hinn used to go around saying, take it, take it. Remember that? Remember that? Okay, those of you from a different generation, those who are saved and sanctified and never watched these TV evangelists, then anyway, and I was here on the platform right here in this spot and the Holy Spirit was flowing and, and there was my executive assistant, Andrew Kenworthy, down here and there was a lady down there and she was waving her hands and I said, what do you want from Jesus? I never heard what she said. What she said was, I want him. And I didn't hear that. I said, what do you want from Jesus? Oh, never mind, take it, take it. And he went, no, no. No, no. We fell out of that big out of that big time. So I don't know where you feel God is saying no, no to you. And and get wisdom because if God is really saying no, it's because He's got something better for you. But there is another sense in which we know that we are praying in the will of God and it seems like it's not happening. How many are there today? Just help me to know I'm preaching to somebody. How many are there that in some respect in your life there's something that you're seeking God for and you know it's right and it just seems not to be happening? Let's see. That's about, oh, it's getting better. I, I could do another appeal. We'll have 100% conversion in a minute. But that's quite a common experience. But I want to encourage you. God will often appear to withhold something from you in order to develop the very faith it needs for you to receive from him what you need from him. So there were moments when, when it was very clear that Jesus was not going to finish his ministry to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But he was going to open the door to the Gentiles. Which means, and I'll come to that in a moment, but let me just do this bit, which means that to do this, he had to die, be raised again from the dead, defeat the principalities and powers, and strip them of their authority. So even though the manifestation of that victory is not fully evident, and we look at some nations, we think it's not evident at all. 
because it looks like the devil is in control of Brussels. Hold it, haven't finished yet. It looks like the devil is in control of the Houses of Parliament. I'm not, I'm not talking about Boris. Pray for Boris. He needs prayer. Uh, pray for that. But I'm not, I'm not talking about the people. I'm talking about the principalities and powers that's operating. You know, it looks like the devil's in charge of Iraq in Turkey and all the rest of it and all these horrible things. God is certainly not responsible for those things. But what we know is that Jesus has already defeated the enemy. And, and, and I want to say that I brought this into the message in order to say this. The mother of all battles being fought over Britain is not about Brexiteers or Remainers. It's about the soul of the nation. Spiritual forces are fighting and vying with one another. And even more than that, I, I believe that the purpose is not just to fight amongst themselves. The spiritual powers are not just opposing one another. They are opposing Christ, his kingdom and the gospel and every believer on the planet. That's the reality. You might not feel it, but it's true. And I think we're going to feel it more if our nation continues its current course of continuing to reject Christ and, and promote elements, philosophies, beliefs and religions which are not just opposed to Christianity but are so outright anti-Christian and, 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 and some, of these, some of these, they're not going to be content just if we come and say, you know, be all sweet and nice. They, they, they want to eradicate the gospel itself. That's why we must stand up and preach and proclaim. So there comes a time when the door to the nations is open. John 12, verses 31 and 32. Again, just a little bit of background to this. Jesus is coming to the final stages of his earthly ministry and the revelation is becoming stronger and stronger and his statements are stronger and it's very clear who he is and what he's come to do. And Jesus is speaking like this. And a bunch of people come. They want to go to the, to the Jesus meeting. Now this tells us that the Jesus meeting was almost and probably 100% Jewish. Jesus came to minister first to the Jews, right? We've seen that. But there were some Greeks, and they go to Philip. Philip is a Greek name, there must be a connection there. And they said, Sir, we want to see Jesus. It's a bit like saying, we want an appointment with the pastor. And so Philip goes to Jesus, and says, there's some Greeks here wanting to see you. Get the significance? Not Jews. Not Jesus' primary ministry during his life on earth. And what does Jesus say? He announces the time for the nations. This is a mission service. But I try to help you when I say nations. I mean Britain. I mean Kenya. I mean all the nations of the earth. God has a plan for Israel, but we're talking about all nations. So this means Britain's time is here. Not just Nigeria. Not just Indonesia. 
Not just the 78 nations I've visited, but the extra hundred and what have you. All nations. Here's the statement. Jesus said, Now is the judgment of this world. What's he meaning? He's saying, the book of Revelation is happening. Apocalypse now. No, no, no. He's saying that God, Jesus was going to enter into the spiritual realm and drive demonic forces out of their position of authority and control over the nations. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. This isn't an exorcism of Satan out of human bodies. This is Satan being stripped of that authority that he had been given in one sense but usurped and used it rebelliously against God. That's the real story. Now it's the judgment of the ruler of this age. Jesus destroyed, drove out, disarmed and completely defeated Satan at the cross and resurrection. And what that means is not only you don't have to fear juju or witchcraft. No, no, no. What it means is that we can go to the nations with a message that will be anointed by God and we can break down the barriers between the nations and we can join together being in the body of Christ and we can give people permission and assurance that they can forsake the false gods of their ancestors and come with a clean conscience to serve the one, the true and the living God. Amen and amen and amen. Thank you, Simon. God gave you a bit more energy at 11 o'clock. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's so wonderful. It's so wonderful. And then verse 32, he's more specific. That's John 12. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now, we interpret this because we are very individualistic in our thinking. And we see every promise is addressed to us personally, and it is. But here, it's not just saying, Jesus died for everyone, therefore Jesus died for Colin. It does mean that. It means Jesus was not just the saviour of the Jews, but he was the saviour of all the nations. That's what it means. And that's what we have. Do you know what you have? When you take the gospel... And you cross the road, you can cross from Europe to Asia, depending which area you live in London, in two seconds. Or you can be in all the nations at once, it's called the number 28 bus. <laughs> or you can do what I do, get on an aeroplane and go to 78 different nations, but we have an authority. We have the mandate to declare Satan's rule is over, Christ's kingdom has come, and it's for all peoples. Hallelujah. And this is the difference the gospel makes. Thank God for that. Then we have this prophecy, which I'll just leave you with and give myself a preaching task for the future. Romans 11.25. Paul says, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. He's talking to the Jews. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until 
If I said to you, I'm preaching until lunchtime, you know that it's coming to an end. All right? If I say I'm going to sit here until the bus comes, you know that you're waiting for something. So the hardening, it's partial. It's not, not over all of Israel. There are many, many, many thousands and thousands and thousands of Jewish believers and they're coming to Messiah quicker than ever before. Amen. But there will be a time when that veil will be taken away and Israel shall see her Messiah and they shall rejoice in Yeshua HaMashiach. And also, the fullness that is prophesied about Israel is not just a fullness for Israel, it is a fullness for the nations of the world. And he says, until the fullness of the nations, the Gentiles has come in. Well, this is amazing. What this means is that we can confidently predict that before the return of Jesus Christ, there will be global spiritual earthquakes. There will be seismic shifts. There will be moves of the Holy Spirit that will sweep like a prairie fire from coast to coast, from continent to continent. Whole nations, indeed, whole continents will be shook with the glory of God with persecution, death and trials. Got to throw that in because it's there. But who cares? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. So God is raising up a, a radical generation of disciples who will take the mandate from heaven, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. All the world might be to the neighbors next door in your street or the neighboring nations across the globe. Make disciples of all nations. And this, isn't, this is not something that we just say. It's something that we do. And Holy Spirit helps us because we sit here and the nations come to us. This is globalization. This is global uh, movement of peoples. And it's all part of the plan of God. All part of the plan of God for us to sit shoulder to shoulder to meet people who are different. They don't eat what we eat, but try what they eat. I recommend everything except Ethiopian eggs. Ethiopian eggs is hotter than hell. Don't try it unless you've got more faith than I have. Why do you try and wear what they wear? All right, I used to be in the theater and I still like dressing up, but I put this on. I had so many others. I could, I could have come as a Kenyan. I could have come as a Filipino. I could even come as an Arab. I could come as a Ghanaian, but I, I came as an Indonesian. I want to tell you, this is not just any old shirt. This is the quality of shirt you could wear to an ambassador's reception. I know that because the person who gave it to me told me that. So we, we celebrate all these cultures and differences and of course why can we do that because nobody owns our culture as if it is as if it is somehow you know the uh, infallible no no we can embrace many different cultures because we belong to the culture of the god in heaven who says people from every kindred tribe and nation will come into my house the times of the gentiles is here 